We believe the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a restoration of the original Church established by Jesus Christ, which was built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We declare to the world that the fullness of the gospel has been restored to the earth. We declare with boldness that the keys of the priesthood have been restored to man. We declare to the world that this is the day referred to by biblical prophets as the latter days. It is the final time before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to rule and reign on the earth. So these two sections kind of start to show the growing pains, I think, of the, the first members of the of the church as it first started getting started, um, as it first began. And we start to see some of this, the first questions they're having about what's okay, what's not, how do we do things, who can do things, and all that. So I think these are, are really interesting to see that the milestone of April 6th, 1830, the formation of the church was excellent, but it was really, really just a sign of, okay, we're just getting started, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, there's still so many things that will be uh, addressed and will maybe become issues that maybe they didn't anticipate. But I think it's really cool that we start to see how that starts to happen. I like how there's also a theme of um, doing away with traditions, like doing things a certain way or the, th the way that we think should be done. And the example of that is with the sacrament. And, and in the lesson, it gives us the example of when uh, it was Sally Knight and Emma Smith were baptized and they were not able to be confirmed because a mob interrupted confirmation. And so later on, it says that they went to visit Emma and Joseph and they decided, hey, let's do the confirmations now and then let's take the sacrament. And Joseph went to go buy some wine for the sacrament and an angel appeared and basically in verses one through three or four of chapter, section 27. Yep. It just tells us that um, verse 2, For behold, I say unto you, that it matter not what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink when ye partake of the sacrament. If it so be that it is this with an eye single to my glory, remembering unto the Father my body, which is laid down for you, and my blood, which was shed for the remission of the sins. For if I com a commandment I give unto you, that thou shalt not purchase wine, neither strong drink from your enemies, wherefore you shall purchase of none except it be made new among you. So I see two things here that stuck out to me. One was a warning that your enemies may not sell you things that are good for you. It sounds like maybe, I don't know, too strong or poison them or I don't know. Who knows? Right. Or maybe it's just yeah. the appearance that uh, these people are out to destroy you and the gospel and mock the church and then you go buy from them. I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? Right. The other one was just a more practical one that it really doesn't matter what you use as long as your heart is pure and in the right place. And that's something, I don't know, I learned that first and foremost on my mission where you're doing the best you can to be perfectly obedient to, you know, the white Bible and to your lessons and, and everything. And then there are times when the spirit tells you to do something, hey, let's go here. Let's do this. 
and that is more that supersedes you know what you had not to say that the spirit will tell you go be blatantly disobedient <laughs> but there are certain things that are just there are certain things that are practices and there are certain things that are commandments you know yeah. the commandment is to have the the sacrament the practice is like how we do it and we've seen especially recently how you can do it from home you know you can do it virtually you can do it by certain congregation groups you know and sometimes we get so tied down to the um, ritual that we maybe we forget the the deeper meaning you know well we had we i remember growing up i was assigned to bring the bread one time for sacrament and i just brought whatever bread we had at my house and usually we had like whole wheat bread and i brought that and my bishop was like oh we can't use this and i was like why he's like well because we need white bread and i was like oh and i didn't know so i was like oh uh well i can see and he's like it's all right i'll go get some from my house and we did this whole thing and my dad was like did you because I, I went back <laughs> with the loaf of bread again and it wasn't like a feeding the five thousand situation it was just that we didn't use it and so my dad was like what the heck i thought you were supposed to take the bread yeah i did but he said we couldn't use it because it's whole wheat bread and he was kind of like oh oh okay he didn't really, you know, say the bishop's wrong, the bishop's, you know, whatever. But he was just kind of like, well, just so you know, um, you can use whatever bread. It really doesn't matter. And I was like, well, he just said it was white. And he's like, well, I mean, that's a preference thing. Maybe some people don't like wheat bread or whatever. So white bread is less offensive or whatever. But um, it, it doesn't really matter. And on my mission, uh, in my first area, it was a really small town. We were the first and second counselors in the branch presidency. And um, they came to us one Sunday and they were like, we don't have any bread. We don't have any bread. And the branch president's like, do I send someone to buy some? And I was like, well, what do we have here? And, <laughs> and uh, there were only about maybe 15 to 20 people in sacrament meeting in, on time uh, to have the sacrament. And so we actually had Oreos. And that's what we had for with the sacrament. And some of the kids were like, this is the best sacrament ever. you know. But, but it, the point was that, yeah, the commandment is to have the sacrament. What you bless and what you serve doesn't really matter so much. I think it's interesting that it's wine in this, in this example with Joseph Smith. Wine tends to get better as it ages. It also tends to get more expensive as it gets better. It and I think more powerful, too. Yeah, and it gets stronger, higher alcohol content and stuff like that. Um, so when when I'm thinking about, okay, this is the early days. They want to do everything right. They want to do it the best they possibly can. There might be a temptation to say, we need the best wine. And if that means we need to spend a lot of money to get the best wine for the sacrament, because this is the sacrament. This is not just some meal, you know. We want to we wanna give our best for the Lord. And the Lord's saying, look, don't worry about that. Just Make your own. It doesn't matter. It, the the quality, the cost, the the vintage of the wine, it doesn't matter. I want it to be as simple as possible. And if that means you know, I don't want you to be dependent on finding wine, or if they decide, hey, we're not going to sell wine to the Mormons anymore, so they can't have their sacrament, just make your own. Use your own. And I think that, that eliminated a lot of the complications that could have potentially arisen with, you know, what kind of wine do we use? And do we use white wine or red wine? And, you know, <laughs> how old and how much can we spend? And, well, we're spending an awful lot on wine. You know, no, just make your own. Simplify the whole thing. 
and that way you control whether you have it or not. And uh, I, I think, you know, there's something about, uh, I think we talked about this last time, about new wine in old bottles and new wine in new bottles, you know, that is that kind of rejection of this is not going to become just a tradition. This is not going to become just a formality. There's the purpose and the intent behind this action is actually the most important thing about it. Yeah. And and we can look at that as a symbol to our lives, like the the wine and the sacrament and and the external appearance can sometimes detract from the internal purpose, you know, and I think he it pleases him when the inner vessel is just as clean as the outer vessel. But if you can only clean one, clean the inner vessel first. The fact that you, maybe you go to church, you don't have a tie, it's okay, just go. If you go to church and, you know, your your best shirt is is not as good looking as somebody else's best shirt, it's okay, just go. You know? Or you're traveling or something and you don't have Sunday dress, just go. There's like, that's kind of the feel I get with this. It's It's more important that we focus on the ordinance and the, the sacrament, our offering, which he asks, the greatest offering you can give me is a contrite heart, a broken heart and a contrite spirit, right? Um, then, then these other things will fall into place as time permits and as things change over time, you know? But your heart is what he's really wanting. Well, he explains all of that stuff, and he explains, you know, the, the priesthood, that this is part of that, that, you know, I have ordained you and confirmed you to be apostles and special witnesses of my name. So he's kind of reminding them what the whole purpose of all of this is. And then at the end, in verse 15, Wherefore, lift up your hearts and rejoice, and gird up your loins, and take upon you my whole armor, that ye may be able to withstand the evil day, having done all, that ye may be able to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, which I have sent mine angels to commit unto you. And he's basically saying, you know, when it comes down to it, what's most important? The intent behind the actions, and also that you remember that that's not something that you just turn on and off. This is something that you're doing on a daily basis. It's not just, oh, it's time to remember the Lord during the sacrament. It's time to act uh, with intent now that we're doing the sacrament. Or when we're doing it, it's time to give a blessing. I better I better try and be a good person for the next five minutes because I'm going to drive over and give a blessing. No, you know, it's it's a lifestyle. It's a way that you are all the time, right? And a lot of that has to do with that, um, putting on the armor of God. And one of the things we're always told, you know, we need to put on the armor of God. We need to remember, even the lesson kind of says, think about the, the parts of the body that the, that the armor is covering and what that might represent. And there's a lot of meaning in that. But I also wonder, like, what does that actually mean? What does that look like? What does it actually mean to put on the armor of God? How do you do that? Because it's nice to talk about, and it's a nice image to have, but what does that actually look like in real life, you know? Yeah, I think about the purpose in this. I mean, we have tons of seminary videos and lessons about the armor of God. And, the, and all of that is good. But I think, why, why would God give us an example that very much relates to war and physical harm? So he's trying to compare physical harm. There's different bodies, parts of your body that can be targeted. You can target your head, which is very important. So protect that. 
you can target your chest, your organs, which are very important, so protect that, or your arms. In, in these battles, you just need to get one thing in, and it compromises everything. Then it'll be easier. If I can take out your leg, it's going to make it so you can't run, and so I can maneuver around you, and I can take out your arm. Eventually, I can take off your head, right? You know, I'm not trying to get gruesome or anything, but I think, the, for me, the way I look at it is we have different vulnerabilities, all of us. It is wise to use the gospel principles to protect against all the vulnerabilities we have. The things that are weak to us, we need to spend extra effort in making that a strong place. And the things that are already strong, we need to make sure they stay strong. And the whole feel that I get from the armor analogy is it's not one thing. It's a holistic thing. It's all of these things. And to that is where we have to, it's almost like you have to be aware of pride where you say, you know, I am so good at this shield. I'm not even going to wear anything. I just have this shield. You can't get past this shield. Right? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, but what if they do? Are your loins girded up? You know, are your breastplate, is it good to go? And that's the thing is you have the sword of truth and, and whatever, right? It's it's kind of the sense of like what is perfection is becoming whole. And what yeah. is the armor represent is us working on the whole, you know? And I, I think that while the description of the armor is pretty much always the same, our vulnerabilities and our weaknesses are all different. And so if someone says, yeah, I don't really have a struggle with impure thoughts. But someone else is like, I struggle with that a lot. That's to me, that's what putting on that armor is about. It's about saying, okay, where, what are my, what are my weaknesses? Where am I most likely to give in to temptation? And how can I fortify those areas? And if I do it with hymns, if I do it with scripture, if I do it with, you know, service, if I do it, how do I, how do I do that so that when those temptations come, I have some barrier of protection from the spirit? That's kind of what it's like to me, that it may not necessarily be a literal, I need to protect myself from all the sins that pertain to my legs, you know, <laughs> or all the sins that pertain to my head and my mind. Maybe I don't struggle with that. Maybe I have addictions, Right. And that is my weakness. And so that symbolism of that armor represents kind of where are you going to protect in, 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 your, in your spiritual body? What are the weaknesses that you need to protect? Kind of and, like you were saying. Yeah, and it's like whether you look at our life as a computer system or as a castle and you say, where are the vulnerabilities? You know, if I were the enemy, where would I attack? Oh, you know, your drawbridge is pretty weak sauce. <laughs> you know, let's go there. Or you have an opening in the back. You don't even have a wall back there. We're going to go that way, you know. And the, one of the ways I think about this, and maybe it's simple, is I look at the commandments. What are the basic commandments? What are the things I should be doing? And do I do them? If I don't do them, to what degree do I do them? Do I do them? Do I not do them because I rationalize? Because uh, I just don't feel that's important enough? That's... Uh, that's an arm that is unprotected right there. That's what you need to protect. And I like how when we exercise our faith in just giving it a try, we will find that things that 
we want to be, all we need is a desire to want to be obedient. Just like Alma talks about, all you need is just start with a desire. Do you want to? Okay, then just go do it. And if every time it's like you're, ah, I'm going to do it, and then you eventually do it, little by little, it'll get easier. And little by little, that feeling or the way of changing your mindset and changing your heart will eventually happen. And the Holy Ghost will visit you. And now this that was once something you felt you could never want to do of your own free will becomes something integral to your being. And that's the biggest miracle of the gospel is the fact that you, as an intelligent person who has experience and all sorts of things that have led you to this moment, good experiences and bad experiences, you can change the way you feel, the way you think, and the, your perspective on things. And, and that's what the commandments do to us. It's not just a list of do these things go to heaven or do these things and you'll be punished forever. It's more of like, how do I put my faith into action? And I try something different. I try to change. And the more I look at all of these things that the saints are going through, they're, they're going to go through many trials, but the lessons are almost the same all the time. Father, Lord, Lord. Some trials you're going to have to bear with patience. Others you will be delivered. Others it's not for you to worry about. Worry about this instead, you know. And yeah. and it's very similar to what we do in our lives. There's things that will, in this uh, in this battle with good and evil, there are things that will distract us. And it's funny, that, that kind of leads to the next section where we start talking about revelation. And the revelation that, um, what is this gentleman who gets? Hiram uh, Page. Yeah, Hiram Page, he begins to feel like he's getting revelation for the entire church. And the interesting thing in the lesson where it says, when Hiram Page claimed to have received such revelations, there was confusion among church members. There were also church members who believed his revelations, you know? Yeah. And they were well, probably doing, not that. Go ahead. He was doing things a lot of the same way that Joseph Smith was doing it. You know, he had been... He'd become a member of the church. Uh, he was using a seer stone, just like Joseph was known to do. And he, a lot of the things were things that I think people probably wanted to hear. And he wanted to hear. And so when they heard it, they believed it. And they, they were like, hey, this is really a, a spiritual awakening. Look, everyone can have the potential to receive this kind of revelation. And this is where Satan takes a good thing, a, a divine holy gift, and gives it a half turn and twists it just a little bit to make it a manipulative thing. Because he takes this thing that everyone, every child of God is entitled to, revelation from God, and says, yeah, see, well, how is this person better than you? He thinks he's better than you, that he knows more than you, and that's why he wants to suppress what you're doing. Right? You just got a revelation too. Who's to say that he's right when you just got one, too? And so people start to think that, yeah, you know what? Maybe I do have this gift. And it is a, a, a fact. It is a doctrinal fact that each one of us is entitled to revelation. We are. But we're entitled to the revelation that is pertinent to our lives, our stewardships, our callings. And that includes our family. But it, it's not a thing where you can say, you know, hey, grandson, I received revelation that you should do this or that. I don't have stewardship over individuals in that way. 
if I'm a father and I say, here's a, a job opportunity or here's a chance to move to a new location and I need to know if this is the right thing for me to do for my family, that's within my stewardship, right? As the as the father of the family and probably should be consulting with the mother, by the way. <laughs> but uh, uh, it, at the same time, like I, I can't go to my neighbor and say, neighbor, I have this really strong impression that you should move away. You know, like that, that's not how that works. <laughs> and I think that's kind of what where Hiram Peter's getting caught up is that he was getting these revelations and feeling that he was able also able to speak for the greater church. And I, I think also the what these revelations and sometimes the feelings we get for somebody else. Look, I really feel that my neighbor should so and so or you know, or I think the bishop would be better served if he would, or the ward. A lot of times those feelings are good. They're born out of a good place. You're trying to help or you see an improvement. The problem becomes being out of order. Not It's not so much the context as the fact that if it's almost like, you know how we have that saying that Satan will make you believe nine truths or <laughs> ten truths to, 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 so you can accept one lie? It's, it's kind of that kind of mindset where if, if I can get you to start questioning everything and start giving yourself a calling that you don't have or not working within the bounds of, of, of the organization, then I can get you to go from everything is great and you sustain everybody so five years from now, you think everybody's falling away and you're the new prophet, mm-hmm. you know, which we have seen. We see it all the time in a lot of examples throughout all history. It was interesting that in the in the lesson, it um, it uh, what's it called? It referenced this talk by President or Elder Oaks called Two Lines of Communication. And one of the one of the things that he mentions, he, he compares Two lines of communication, one being personal revelation in your personal relationship with the Savior and with Heavenly Father. And the second one is a, is a priesthood line of communication that comes directly through Jesus Christ and his priesthood organization. And so one, one of the things he says about the direct personal line of communication, he says, The direct personal channel of communication is our Heavenly Father through the Holy Ghost is based on worthiness and is so essential that we are commanded to renew our covenants by partaking of the sacrament each Sabbath day. In this way, we qualify for the promise that we must always have his spirit to be with us, to guide us. On this personal line of communication with the Lord, our belief and practice is similar to that of those Christians who insist that human mediators between God and man are unnecessary because all have direct access to God under the principle Martin Luther espoused that it is now known as the priesthood of all believers. And, and then he talks about that later. And then in conclusion, he says something really interesting. Um, he says, a final example applies these principles to the subject of priesthood authority in the family and in the church. All priesthood authority in the church functions under the direction of one who holds the priesthood keys. This is the priesthood line. But the authority that presides in the family, whether father or single parent or mother, function in family matters without the need to get authorization from one holding priesthood keys. That is like the personal line. 
both lines must be functioning in our family life and in our personal lives if we are to have the growth and achieve the destiny identified in our Heavenly Father's plan for his children. One more little, <laughs> this is such a good, he says, we must both use the personal and priestly line in proper balance to achieve the growth that is in the purpose of our mortal life. If personal religious practice relies too much on the personal line, the individu individualism erases the importance of divine authority. If personal religious practice relies too much on the priesthood line, individual growth suffers. The children of God both need, need both lines to achieve their eternal destiny. The restored gospel teaches both and he restored and the restored church provides both. I had never had ever had it explained in this way. There, there are two methods by which we are entitled to revelation. One is our personal relationship with the Savior in our covenants and our individual righteousness. And the other is the priesthood authority and keys and the delegation of responsibilities that come through the organization. And to rely too much on one, we, we, we can be tempted to diminish and step out of bounds in the other. And to rely too much on the other, we can neglect the one and, and either do a lot of outward appearing and serving a lot of callings, but have a very poor personal relationship and individual righteousness. Or we strive to just be so individually righteous that we feel we don't need direction from the Lord or from our leaders, and then we start creating our own directions. Yeah, I, the title of the lesson, All Things Must Be Done in Order. And that's really something that the Lord has shown us throughout the scriptures um, in many instances that he calls a prophet, and that prophet is that is his spokesperson. And you think about um, President Nelson now, he receives revelation for the church, but he also receives personal revelation for himself, for his family, for his wife, for his uh, future, that is separate from the church itself. And that's an interesting way to put it, you know, that, well, I think it was a couple episodes ago, you were kind of talking about how the prophet looks at the big picture, right? And then local leaders look at a smaller picture and how that fits into the bigger picture. And then maybe a bishop looks at how that ward fits into the plan of the stake and how that then fits into the big picture of the, the church. And I think revelation is that way too. You know, there are certain revelations I get for myself and they're just for me. And there are certain ones that might have a greater influence over myself and those in my immediate surroundings, my family. And then how does that fit into revelations that might be necessary for the bigger church well i i will receive a revelation from god saying the one that the revelation that president nelson got about you know two hour block church instead of three uh, do you have any questions about that and i'll go and i'll say yeah I'd, what about how are we supposed to uh, form that sense of community still how are we supposed to uh, share that same camaraderie with people in the ward when we see them an hour less every week Okay, well, here's your personal revelation regarding that other bigger picture revelation, right? Those things are still can still be cohesive, but at the same time, I'm not going to then say, ah, I have received revelation for everyone about this. You know, there's been a couple changes recently, like the block, like the missionary age changing, like the ordination to to priesthood offices can just happen within the year of the birthday, not necessarily do you have to wait for the exact birthday, right? right? There's been a lot of little things that teach us 
that the revelation and to most people for me when i read when i when i heard that church was going to be cut down i thought it's about time great you know <laughs> um i liked it you know i've always thought about that and there there are times when in general conference like they'll announce something and i'm like oh that seems right i've thought about that i've had that feeling as well but that's just the confirmation that the lord prepares the people to receive the message you know so it's not just not just every announcement needs to be a an entire 180 surprise like we were heading to this now we're heading most of the time the people start feeling that amongst themselves the spirit starts brewing amongst the congregations to say you know what maybe we need to uh, give more spotlight to the youth give more you know maybe the 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 this program our old programs aren't really serving the needs of all of our youth maybe you know and you have leaders in those callings and they it's been a long time it's almost like i remember the missionary discussions that were they were memorized you just had a dialogue to just start on letter one and you ended on the 500 word and and you just spit towards the end of that program most people were teaching as preach my gospel they were teaching by the spirit what led them then when the program arrived it was revolutionary because it, in comparison to when the old program launched but the people were totally ready to start teaching by outline and teaching by the spirit because you know initially that helped and that worked and it in some cases it may still work really well but now people were prepared to be more individualistic to share examples of their actual life and their conversion and 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 customize the message to the individual hearing it better and those are all signs of revelation and progression and the restoration continues i think in the in the coming years being able to recognize or identify and even seek out direct personal revelation is going to be even more important than ever before because we have so many things that are out in the world trying to get our attention and trying to distort our sense of reality or establish this this is truth no this is truth no that's truth no the other thing is truth that we need to be really good at um, communicating through the spirit with our heavenly father and getting guidance to know what's true and what's not it, satan is twisting truth all over the place Uh, there's a quote by President Joseph F. Smith in the Sunday School Manual. He says, when visions, dreams, tongues, prophecy, impressions, or any extraordinary gift of inspiration convey something out of harmony with the accepted revelations of the church or contrary to the decisions of its constituted authorities, Latter-day Saints may know that it is not from God, no matter how plausible it may appear. In secular as well as spiritual affairs, saints may receive divine guidance and revelation affecting themselves, but this does not convey authority to direct others. The history of the church records many pretended revelations claimed by impostors or zealots who believed in the manifestations they sought to lead other persons to accept. And in every instance, disappointment, sorrow, and disaster have resulted therefrom. And I think that that's, that's the thing. Satan is aware of our need and desire for guidance. And he's aware of our oftentimes ineptitude or lack of experience in getting that kind of guidance and understanding it and, and following it. And so he'll kind of tend to interject himself into that, which is what was happening with Hiram Page. This is a guy I believe had good intentions. I don't think he was intentionally saying, I'm going to mess up the church, you know, at least not at first. I think he started out by saying, hey, I wonder if this can work for me too. 
I wonder if I can get guidance too. And he went and he got something. And he thought, oh my gosh, I have this gift as well. And then he started telling people, hey, I've been using a seer stone and I've been receiving guidance and this is what I've, I've been told. And people were like, it seems plausible. We're believers. Yeah. We believe this kind of thing. And then it started to contradict things that Joseph was saying. And it became like, well, wait a second. You know, what is truth here? And I think that's where, you know, it could have appeared that Joseph Smith was saying, uh, no, that's not true. You can't believe him. You can only follow me. But really what he was saying is, you know, if you if you listen to me and then ask for yourselves for guidance, for your own personal revelation about what I have received, you'll find that it's true. And that's, I think, has been, always been the message of the church. It's never just believe it and be quiet. You know, it's hear what we're saying. Go pray about it. Find out for yourself. We've received this revelation. Now, we hope that you'll believe it. But if you don't, go pray and ask for guidance. And I think that that's really the order that must be that must be done. Yeah, I I like that. And I, I like the fact that um, in the Book of Mormon, it told us, about being very careful and and why did it, it talked about the children of israel and it mentioned how they were so stiff-necked and so proud and up and it became and it came because they looked beyond the mark they looked beyond what was given to them and it almost felt for me like they were given very specific commandments the law of Moses, which was a, les, a lesser law, and it and it tells us in the Book of Mormon that it, it relied on on rites and rituals and, and a lot of symbolism to continuously remind them the reason why you're doing this. But without looking at the reason why, they started looking beyond the mark and creating almost like a caste system and this pride system and all of these things that actually moved people further from Christ, not closer to Christ. And I think that's a good warning that for us as members, one of the main methods of attack that Satan will use, he will try to distract us beyond the mark, to look beyond its intention. Either we'll attach too much significance to things that shouldn't have that much significance, and, and or we'll try to attach descriptions or explanations to gospel principles that are truly meant to stay simple, we'll try to overcomplicate them and try to, well, this is how and this is why and this is this is how, you know, this this ego will tell us when the second coming and this this other thing will tell us. And, the, and then now we know that the past of, of this canyon is the one where the 12 tribes need to come walking backwards, mind you, backwards because of this one verse over here, you know, and you start looking and you start, well, you, you're creating a gospel unto yourself. Right. And unto your own understanding. And you're forgetting that a lot of these things are given to us and are given to us to remain simple because not because God is not complicated, but because his he knows like we cannot have a who knows more conversation or argument with our Heavenly Father. He knows infinitely more. What, what we're being taught is how to choose good. And we're going to be given so many different scenarios and so many different upbringings that he said, at whatever scenario and upbringing, choose good. And wherever you're at, I will give you guidance on how to take the next step of good. 
And if you rely on me, we will get there. We'll get all the way home through all these little steps. What the problem is, is we start comparing your path to my path. And, oh, I'm ahead of you. I must be better. I must be more righteous. And Satan comes in and starts switching everything, overcomplicating it, making everybody compare each other. And then we end up with situations where, and we'll see it here in this uh, Doctrine and Covenants as we end through people who love the prophet, who had a testimony, who saw the plates, who, who had these marvelous things will fall away and will 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 chase these other things not unlike Laman and Lemuel and when we see these examples we always say oh how could they why wouldn't they but it's like that's not written for us just to just criticize them that's written for us to critique ourselves and say where am I and how can I be sure that I follow the prophet that I follow Jesus Christ well, and oftentimes when we're overshooting the mark and we're kind of creating a gospel into ourselves, uh, there's a couple of things that can happen. Number one, we get so distracted by all that stuff that we forget the small and simple things. And number two, there might be people that say, wow, you've got some real insight. I'm going to follow you. And then that kind of boosts your ego a little bit. You start thinking, yeah, maybe I do know a thing or two. I'm going to put together my own little fireside on the cul-de-sac and invite all the people to come and listen to me. And then not only have you elevated yourself above others because of something that you fabricated, but also you've started to mislead other people into doing the same thing. And just like you were saying, we can kind of compare our paths and say, oh, I'm a little bit further along on the path than that guy. I must be, I must know more. The, the other thing happens too, where I might look at someone and say, wow, that person knows a lot more than me. They must be farther along than me. I should follow them. And that's also equally wrong. I mean, as an example, sure. I mean, we have the general authorities. They're great guys. They have done a lot of great things. They're inspired. Generally, we should follow what they say. But should we worship them or begin to say, I'm more of a, a President Monson guy than a President Nelson guy? Eh, you know, that kind of gets into the realm of you're starting to, like, worship individuals instead of their message, right? Yeah. And that becomes problematic. Nothing. There's no substitute for the real thing. And just as this podcast is intended to be an addition, something else, yeah. almost like a discussion. If we if we were having Sunday school, you know, what are some thoughts that we could share from the reading? Great. But it shouldn't replace your actual reading of the material and of the scriptures. If you've read or listen to more books about the Book of Mormon than the actual Book of Mormon, that's a sign that we that there needs to be some adjustments. And for me, I have a lot of thoughts about the scriptures, and it wasn't always like that. I used to read the scriptures and be so confused, and then have to go look at somebody. And even to this day, I'm not saying I know them or, or anything, but I know more than I used to. I can feel that I knew more context. I start remembering things. And there are times when you would, I would read something and I'd have the Institute Manual right next to it, which, which is awesome because it tells you almost the same verses and somebody else summarizes it. And you start, and, and that is helpful. But at no point should, should, uh, should our study be so much on the, the extra things, because you know you you. You can go to any LDS bookstore or Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints bookstore, <laughs> and you'll find great books by many people on a lot of topics, and those are wonderful. 
but at the end of the day, they cannot replace the actual scriptures. You know? Well, it's kind of like uh, LeVar Burton used to say on Reading Rainbow. You don't have to take our word for it, you know, and that really should be the message that we can talk about stuff. But when it comes down to it, like you were saying, uh, individual study of the scriptures themselves and then prayer to seek out guidance and direction and revelation from directly from Heavenly Father. There is no intermediary to revelation, right? You don't have to go through a priest or a, a prophet or a friend in order to get direct communication from your Heavenly Father. That's the beautiful thing about the gospel is that we have a direct line through the Spirit. Sometimes it's hard to pick up the signal and all that noise, but that's kind of what this mortal journey is about, maintaining that. I really like the fact that the new curriculum really makes sure that everyone in the entire world is going over the same lessons and scriptures at the same time. And I can't help but to think how much more General Conference is going to relate to everyone because the speakers have also been reading these same things <laughs> and from these thoughts. And you can see it when they we, they started explaining or, or having their lesson. And you can think about your reading and where you were at. And and then the, the Holy Ghost brings everything together. So it's applicable. You know, there's always something to learn. And I'll, I'll just end with saying that, you know, this journey of eternal progression is the journey of perfection. That eternal progress in eternal increase is perfection and that does have doesn't have an end and so one of the main things we are to learn in this life is how to continuously just get better being introspective and trying to do like an inventory of where we're at without the holy ghost can be very demoralizing and can be very upsetting and and and, and depressing with the holy ghost we can feel correction we can feel the need to improve, but we're also filled with a sense of hope. We're filled with a sense of endless opportunity and that empowers our agency to do and act and become. And that's a very interesting thing because I've seen individuals who both hear the gospel good news and they either hear it as this overbearing, crushing thing I'll never live up to, which is not coming from the Savior. Or... We hear the gospel good news and we say, well, I got that master. I, I've done it, which is also not coming from the Savior. And that's the that's why we, we claim that the Holy Ghost is one of the greatest gifts, because it is that gift that will balance the message and give us what we need and what we don't need at the time we need it or we don't need it. You know, that we know to let go or to put more effort into this. And if we're humble, it will work that way. If we fight against the Holy Ghost himself, he's not going to stick around to have arguments and listen to all of our excuses or our rationalizations. Yeah, I, I think this is encapsulated back in section 27, verse 15. Because the Lord starts out, we focus a lot on the armor of God part of this, that the Lord starts out by saying, wherefore, lift up your hearts and rejoice. And then, and gird up your loins and take upon the whole armor. This is a, a gospel message of hope and of happiness and joy, right? This is not as an opportunity to look at yourself and say, oh, I'm just so not there yet. I'm so deficient. I'm so weak and I have to have all this help and whatever. It, it's saying, look, this, this is a long journey that we're on here, but b let's be happy about it and let's fortify ourselves. And that's kind of what you're getting at, you know, when you're saying, 
that it, it's not a it, doing it without the God, without the spirit doing that introspection without the spirit yeah it is a disappointing experience right but with the spirit you can say okay where do i have to improve and now i'm excited because now i, I i'm working on that progress that perfection is a journey not a destination it's not something we're ever going to just be but we will uh be working on it forever it's almost as if you have your son or daughter you're teaching them how to ride a bike and you and one you know they want to ride a bike it's not that you're forcing them to ride a bike right they want to ride a bike and you have training wheels and you give them a helmet and you and you give them knee pads elbow pads you take them to an empty flat place and you're there running right next to them just in case <laughs> but they're unwilling to try because they'll say but what if i fall and 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 that's like sometimes how i view ourselves like but what if i'm not perfect what if i don't live up to it we're telling that to our heavenly father jesus christ and the holy ghost to the godhead whom from the beginning knew and planned and actually we wanted a place where good and evil where we can choose good and reject evil where we could make choices we're telling that to a savior who went through the great atonement to suffer all of our sins and say i don't want to try because i'm scared i will fail and it's like <laughs> when i think about it that way i think he knows <laughs> he knows failure is what we deem as failure is not what god sees as failure we are to experience good and evil the failure comes when we give up on ourselves when we give up on the plan when we think i'd rather not know i'd rather not think i'd rather not believe because i don't want to i don't want to live with guilt or whatever whatever and it's like that's not what the gospel is the gospel is a way of freeing yourself from guilt it's a way of living in such a way where you're at peace with who you are with the world around you with your reason and your purpose for being here in one of the greatest attacks that Satan does is he tries to distort that. He tries to make us feel like the gospel is for others, it's just not for me. Or the Savior, I believe he loves everybody, just not me. Or anywhere that he can put doubt on things that we shouldn't doubt. And and then leads us to trust things that we shouldn't trust. And that's why it's important that, you know, faith is so important. Faith is just your belief that things can be better. It can be good. That if you start reading your scriptures, that you start saying your prayers, you don't know how, but it will lead to a better outcome. It will lead to better. And just do that. Do that alone. Do the little tiny things. Do something different. And that is faith. You you know it's true. You don't know how it works, but you just give it some faith. And before you know it, you'll be able to know more, and you will begin to build a really strong foundation. And then better yet you'll be able to help others let us be awake and not be wary of well-doing for we are laying the foundation of a great work even preparing for the return of the savior my dear brothers and sisters jesus christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to 
to come. Follow me.